Hello, Duarte. Hi, Josh. Great to see you here in Finland in Helsinki. Frozen Helsinki. It is really cold. Uh, luckily, we're inside a nice hotel. <laughs> but I froze my butt off last night walking to the... He did. Well, anyway, it's a pleasure here being here with you. Um, you um, are prolific in all of the work you're doing, of course, and no estimates, and no backlogs, and um, all sorts of things around... Um, helping to modernize, I think, what Agile means. And, Indeed. And I love that. Um, it's, it's wonderful that you're, you're not uh, subject to the ideas maybe from the 1990s that uh, maybe have fallen out of, out of favor at this point. Or, or 1970s, maybe. <laughs> 1950s, if we talk about estimates. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love it. And I thought we could spend some time diving deep into some of these concepts. Um, so, yeah, you're, do you face a lot of resistance for all of your innovative ideas? Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> so, uh, tip for all of you out there, stay away from the no estimates hashtag. You do not want to go there. It's not a safe place. You have one of those stop cards there. It's one of those places where you have to show Josh's stop card all the time. So be careful, be safe, stay away from the hashtag. <laughs> Uh, so it, it really rubs people the wrong way to say some people no don't. no estimates huh? <laughs> yes. well um, I, I'm you know I'm a fan of, of that it's it's uh, I think so really quickly what are the the core things you ought to be doing instead of focusing on estimates so so um, the key thing that I get asked is okay, if we're not estimating then what, what are we doing right it's like it's a fair question yeah. So I, uh, in uh, the conference where we're at, Scan Agile in Finland, Helsinki, March, yes. um, uh, I tackled that directly and I said, you know, instead of asking for an estimate, how long will this take or when it will be ready or how much does it cost, maybe what we ought to do is first define the problem. Like, what is the problem we're trying to solve, right? I mean, do we want to increase conversion? Do we want to get more leads? Do we want to improve satisfaction? Do we want to reduce time to serve? What is the actual reason for us to do anything? Yeah. Then once you've defined that, then you probably have an idea of what are the best experiments to get there. You know, we want to be curious, yeah. as Josh would say, about what will get us to that goal. Yes. And those are the things we want to execute, those experiments. And, yes. and my suggestion is yeah. you break those down into 24 hours. So mm -hmm. obviously, it's not the whole functionality. Mm -hmm. It's let, let's say that we believe that if we add feature X, you know, like uh, same day delivery, we get customer satisfaction 20% higher. Great. Let's try that out 20 in 24 hours. I did this experiment mm -hmm. with a car company that wanted to um, invest many millions. I don't even know how many into a voice activated car. And I help figure it out. How can we test that in 24 hours? Mm -hmm. How would you do that? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, if you do that, if you are able to test, how can you know if a voice-activated car will drive either sales or profit or whatever? Yeah. You can do that in 24 hours by doing yeah. a very simple thing. Mm -hmm. Like, for fake, example... Fake it. Fake it. Fake, it. <laughs> fake, fake features are an old technology. Mm -hmm. Right? And here's the key. What we should be paying for is knowledge acquisition, yes. not estimates. Yes. Because nobody talks about it, but estimates cost real money yeah. that drive us in the wrong direction. Right, yeah. But this is where some, some people would say, but, 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 I need to know when I'm gonna get it done, when am I gonna have voice activated cars? And what do you say to that? Yeah, so 
when do you want to have voice activated cars? Uh, by uh, summer of 2019. All right, I can get them to you by tomorrow. <laughs> but of course, not for the whole customer base. Yeah. Right? Let's say uh, we want to know if this has a particular impact on the business five years from now. So maybe we start by asking, does it have an impact on the business tomorrow? And we do a very small experiment. So we just invite a few people to sit on the car and drive, and we tell them these are the orders you can give the car by voice. Mm -hmm. And then we use a guy with a laptop sitting in the back seat to activate those orders in the car, <laughs> which, by the way, all cars already have. They have a plug-in, mm -hmm. which you can you know, plug in a laptop that, is, that has the right software, mm -hmm. and then you can actually test, is this having the impact we want? Right. We can do this in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And it might end up us figuring that it's better to release that in 2018 rather than 2019, yes. or it's not worth spending the money on. Yes, yes. I've been in, I've been in a Tesla and uh, been with the, on a highway where it's self-driving. And um, the, the fellow friend of mine uh, driving the car said, yeah, this works fine on the highway, but uh, it won't recognize a stoplight yet. At some point, the software will be deployed to that Tesla to recognize stoplights. But today, it can't do that. So it's a partial implementation of autonomous driving. Exactly. And uh, yeah, so, so I think you've, you've answered the question, which is let's not focus so much on the end date. Let's focus on did we, did we solve the problem, the real problem, the real uh, market need, and how quickly can we do that, right, by being creative and using all these techniques we've learned over the years to do high-speed experimentation and get high-speed learning. Yeah. That's, that's what no estimates means, basically. Yeah. So, so the idea is that if you stop estimating, you stop needing to commit to large batches. Long-term experiments yeah. that are, you know, one-year, two-year, five-year in the car business, 10-year projects. Mm -hmm. And you do that every day. And as you do that every day, you learn every day. And no surprise, the scope you deliver is quite different from the one you thought you needed to deliver. Yes, yes. And that's the whole point. So estimates are actually an, an active impediment mm -hmm. for us to incrementally deliver value to the market. And that's really the key, incrementally deliver value to the market. Okay, so now we are clearly operating under conditions of uncertainty in, yes. this, in this formulation of, of this approach. What if we are certain? What if this truly is, hey, I need the following data from your system. Just, I need that data. When can you get it to me? Yeah, so th that's a very good point. So let's assume that you already know the end result. You know you need a certain piece of data from a system. There's still a very big question about how do we do that? Yes, okay. What, what kind of performance constraints do we want to meet? Um, is this a, you know, uh, 99.97% availability service, or is this, you'll give me a phone call before you call the API kind of service. Mm -hmm. Oh, and by the way, how are you going to use that data? Yeah. Could, would we have other ways to deliver the same data to you that you already know you need? Mm -hmm. So uh, the key question that I always ask in my No Estimates demo is, what is the real problem you're trying to solve? Because what, even if you already know that you need that piece of data, mm -hmm. if I don't understand why you need it, there's very little else that I could do than just follow your spec. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I, I bring this up because it's, it's a true story that I, I had uh, worked with uh, JetBrains, the makers of IntelliJ and various other wonderful uh, IDEs. We needed certain data from them. Why did we need it? We needed it because we're uh, automating critiques of programmer exercises. 
automated critiquing of how well they did, right? So we need this metadata. Now, I never asked them when are they gonna get it done. They said to me, provide us a spec. I was like, spec, that's so unagile. But uh, you know, it really was a case of we just need this data from your IDE, not available today. Um, but you know, the, the conversation didn't go, what's the, what's the deadline or what's the, what's the estimate? It was, hey, as soon as you can make it available, please do, and then they got it to us. And it, it wasn't uh, a situation like that. So my question is, are there situations where, um, where it purely is you know, a very simple exchange of, I just need X? Yeah. And can you give me a rough estimate for when that would be available? Okay, so um, what, what I would do in my team is I can tell you when we can start working on it mm -hmm. and I can tell you how long similar functionality has taken in the past. Okay. Right? This is the naked planning that Arlo Belshi wrote about, you know, way back when, yeah. mm -hmm. it, it, which led to this idea of having the Disneyland wait time. If you're about this place in the queue, you have this many days before we start working on your... Uh, request mm -hmm. and yeah. when we start working, we will have this many days to deliver. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, makes sense. So th that does give some sort of picture of what it would be. And we are using data. Like yeah. I don't need to get five developers in a room mm -hmm. to argue with each other before I give you a number. So Can look at the data and give it the number to you. And you're talking about like uh, cycle time or, or things like that. Exactly. Right? Wait time mm -hmm. and cycle time mm -hmm. leading to the lead time. Yeah. Complete lead time of the functionality. Right. Okay. So why do people have such a hard time with this uh, no estimates then? If we just, what we just said to me makes a lot of sense. It's what a lot of, I think, excellent practitioners are saying. Uh, it's very outcome oriented. It's very um, focused on experimentation and on learning, rapid learning. It's, it's focused on faking your way to knowledge. Which is yeah, slowly getting to the real implementation, but yes. of course you start with, you know, a yeah. pre-implementation or right. a fake feature, for right. example. Like, like the Zappos uh, early website, which was just uh, photographs of shoes from a store down the block. <laughs> exactly. And they said, if you, if you happen to order one on our website, we'll go down to the store and buy it for you. I mean, just MVP. You Precisely. Know, total uh, faked out uh, website, yeah. This is something is not... Okay, so let me just say this. Yeah. You said total faked out website. Now... Well, it was real. The people, the people seeing this will know it was a fake website because in the, it's in history. It's mm -hmm. done. We already have the blog post about it. I mean, for but that, it when you were the customer oh, yeah, that, using that, the website, yeah. you didn't know. No, no. For the customer, mm -hmm. it was real. And that's, that's right. the key value of a fake feature yes. is that for the customer, it's real. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, one of my favorite stories is a company in Silicon Valley. They were, they were given many millions of dollars of funding to create um, social buying. Meaning, if you're gonna go buy a new digital camera, you might wanna ask your social network, like, hey, what did, what did you guys buy? Um, and so that was what they, what they were funded for. And two other startups were funded for the same thing at the same time. So three startups in, the in Silicon Valley all funded heavily for this thing. But that, that startup I talked about, they were following lean startup approaches and they faked out the experience of having a social buying experience on, on Facebook. They spent uh, $60 for rentacoder.com to make a little grease monkey script that faked out a browser and to make it seem like this, this feature existed. And they had people come in, you know, just Craigslist where you post an ad, come on in and do a social media experiment. They came in and they rapidly discovered that like, I think it was 58 out of 60 people that came in 
hated the idea. <laughs> Absolutely hated it. And they said, wow. hey, we're not going to build this. And they told their venture capital fund, we have good news and bad news. The good news is that we didn't waste the money you funded us for. And the bad news is now we got to find there's a real problem to solve. So it, it's you know, precisely what you're saying. Yeah. 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 So I was just going to say that if you go to a customer and you help them stop a project yeah. that they don't need to do, you're going to save them potentially millions, tens yes. of millions, yes. hundreds of millions. Yes. I was in a project with no estimates. I offered the option to the program manager, look, you're not going to release on time. The, the release has to be out in Christmas. And, you know, according to what our, our throughput has been, we will deliver in June, July. Mm -hmm. So, you know, consider at least the scope reduction. Yes. He didn't. Mm -hmm. And one year later, that is 18 months into a six-month project, the project got canned 90 million euros. That's, you know, uh, 500 gazillion dollars or something like that. Wow. And 500 people all over the world, 18 months work wasted. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So is it that people just lack an ability to decrease scope? Is, it, is this a, what, what, what prevents people from working this way? So, so I don't believe scope will ever decrease as, as you go you know, into the project scope will increase because you know more, you understand the details, there's nuances you're going to discover. So in the book, in the No Estimates book, I call that value discovery mm -hmm. uh, instead of scope creep. A lot of people would call it scope creep, I call it value discovery. Sure. And that means that we are not really reducing scope, we are discovering the right scope. Mm -hmm. Right, and and this is one of the uh, orienting principles in no estimates. Uh, why are you going to estimate something you already know upfront is not going to be the final outcome? Mm -hmm. You want to leave yourself open for the option of discovering the better scope, yes. like that startup story you just told, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And that's the whole point: is allowing the 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 organization, the project, the team to discover what is really necessary. Yeah instead of committing to something that somebody came up with you know, five years ago yeah. and it took three years to get approved in the project and two more years to get staffed and then we start working on it. Yeah, so options, having, uh, uh, considering our options and exploring and discovering options Precisely. in order to really discover the real value to deliver. But our, uh, what I'm trying to get at was we begin a lot of times with something very, very um, primitive, very, very basic, right? And I. I do you find that people struggle with that skill? That is to identify something more basic. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, if I would say something, I would say that the last, the lost art of agile is slicing work mm -hmm. down. Yeah. And I like Neil Killick's approach when he says that the goal of slicing is not to reduce the size of the work, is to find the core hypothesis mm -hmm. that you need to test as quickly as possible mm -hmm. in order to justify investing more. In the end, what Neil is talking about in his approach to no estimates and also what I mention very often is that we want to go to incremental funding, not just incremental delivery. Yes, absolutely. Now that gets into the, the beyond budgeting stuff. And uh, I, I, I would say, though, that here's something I've noticed, which is what you just mentioned there was the reducing the product risk. That is to say the slice, the early slice is meant to help you uh, test a hypothesis, right? However, sometimes there's a bigger problem. And that bigger problem is that you don't even have a team or a set of people in your organization 
who can build anything, let alone build it fast. So I believe that sometimes prior to testing the product hypothesis, you have to test the hypothesis that you have a functioning team and that you need to build a walking skeleton. I don't care if it says hello world, literally. I mean, mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. you're building a, a new financial portal for your private clients at a bank and you want them to be able to see all this data about their portfolios and this and that, great. Stand up a website that shows their bank balance Absolutely. day one. Now that's not, we're not validating any hypothesis, product hypothesis there. We are just simply seeing, can a group of people in this company get something up and running? Yeah, and I, I, so I, I just counter it by just saying that I think you need both. Yeah. You, you some, you, so I think sometimes that integration and collaboration risk inside of the company is as big as the product risk. Okay, so the example you just gave, which I think is a valid example, is you already have the funds, you already have a good idea of what you want to build, and now is do we have the right people or do we even know how to get started, right? And that's the first question you have. That's right. The first big uh, uh, Correct. puzzle you yes. need to, to solve. I totally agree. Sometimes how to do it is more important than what to do yeah. because you already know what to do. That's right. But you don't know how. Yeah. So that's what I see out there a lot of times is that uh, people struggle with slicing. They struggle with just being able to move quickly. And actually what you just said is slicing the building of the team. That's correct. Because the first team that is going to get the first Hello World proof out there yes. is probably not going to be the final product team. Yep. It's, it's like a team slice. Yeah, we could call it that. Um, interesting. Um, so another topic I wanted to bring up here is the no backlogs. Oh, yeah. How Which we talked about in Prague like five years ago or something Pro like that. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what the, the premise is that the backlog becomes mm. ginormous, gigantic, mm -hmm. right? It just keeps accumulating more and more stuff. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've removed stuff from backlog that was five years old. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Yeah. How agile is that if you're looking at features that are five years old? So what I've discovered in my own practice is that backlogs become an end in themselves. Yes. And yes. we spend enormous amounts of time just managing yes. the items in the backlog. It's crazy. Right? Mm -hmm. So what, what I discovered is that there's a much simpler solution to this, which is you start with a goal. You impact map your way to discover what is the most likely way to reach that goal. When you discover the, the way you reach that goal, you, you, if you haven't yet, you story map it out so that you understand the holistic picture okay. of the project mm -hmm. or, or the delivery that you're preparing. Mm -hmm. You, you uh, release map that out so that you know, what, you know what's the first part you're going to deliver that is holistically coherent and, mm -hmm. and can be used by real customers. Yeah. And then you start to use, you start to use the, the, um, the story map as an orienting feature. Mm -hmm. It's probably on, on a wall somewhere or in an electronic tool. And now the, the key problem is no longer what we need to do. The key problem is what do we need to do this week, mm -hmm. right? Yes, yes. And that's not a big list, no, no, right? No. So you look at a story map, which might be, let's say 200 items large, but it's a holistic picture. So it's easy to see gaps, mm -hmm. which a backlog is not a holistic picture. Right. It's a flat list, that's right. right? In a story map, you see gaps. Hey, we're missing something here. Mm -hmm. Hey, this user has no functionality. Right. What's up with that, right? Yeah. You see them there, it's actionable. You can mm -hmm. go to the map mm -hmm. and pick up something and say, okay, guys, this is what we need to do this week. Mm -hmm. 
how quickly can we do you know the first experiment for example can we test out the hypothesis yes. tomorrow mm -hmm. uh, do we develop the whole feature already whatever mm -hmm. and then one by one we take those items from the story map mm -hmm. and then you, we we work on those as goals not as tasks i see or or user stories in that sense because you know the stories are in the map anyway mm -hmm. so my argument is that that is goal oriented it is holistic, so it's easy to identify the gaps. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to then just go and say, okay, this part, yeah. we don't see any value here anymore, so just drop it all, all out. Mm -hmm. But when you go into a backlog and you have 200 items, yeah. what are you going to drop out? No. No one wants to go below item number five. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it just grows yeah, and grows mm -hmm. and grows. Yeah. And what I found, too, is that uh, you know, I, I, I like to teach people about evolutionary release, releases. So you take something that says, yes, we want to deliver something in six months. Okay, great. Awesome. What are you going to do in two months? What can you show me in two months, which is the embryonic version of the system, where, yeah, you've, you've covered some of the major you know, use cases or, or just the major flows there in the story map. Um, I, to be frank, I don't really use story maps. Um, once, I have nothing wrong. I think they're great, but I'm lazy. So what I, what I ended up doing when I got away from backlogs was this, and this would, this, this, I, say, I say this all the time. You, you gave a warning about the no estimate. <laughs> I will give a warning about what I'm about to say here now because it really, it rubs people the wrong way. They really get upset or annoyed when I say this. But it has worked for me, and I was really happy one day to be reading the book by the 37 Signals guys, right? Um, I think it's called um, whatever. The, the, that first book that those guys wrote, rework. You know, rework, rework. And they said the exact same thing that I do, which was like, oh, this is awesome. And that is that um, we don't write it down at all. We don't write anything down. If we remember it, it's important. And if we don't remember it, it's not important. You know what backlogs are? They are a mental disease that prevents us from forgetting bad ideas. Okay, okay. And that what you just said is a very simple heuristic that we use every day. When we go shopping, if we don't, if we forget the milk, it's because the milk is not that important. That's right. That's right, and exactly right. And so, you, if you're, if you're spending enough time listening to your customers, spending time with your customers, you yes. remember stuff. Yes. And you remember what that persona needs badly, right? So, like, I, I guess I, a lot of stuff that I've started to do over the years doesn't require a physical map on the board. It's just I'm immersed. I'm thinking about their needs, the customers' needs. I am. And so if I remember it, or if my colleagues remember it, it's important. And sometimes we forget, but another customer will come along and say the same thing. Or a third time, we're like, oh, geez, we, we've heard this two or three and times And by the now. way, it's a very important prioritization heuristic. If nobody mentions it twice, it's not important That's enough. right, that's right. Because there's so many things you can do. You can be so reactive. Oh, they want this, build it. They want that, build it. They want this, build it. Well, wait, slow down, slow down. This is the way to create a, a system with so many features that no one ever <laughs> that no one ever uses. Slow down. How many times did we hear it, right? So anyway, that's uh, I think we're aligned on that very much in, in principle. That uh, maintaining yeah. a large backlog and, is, is huge. And is and ma and maybe one thing to add to that is that our goal is not to build more software. Right. It's to solve business problems. Correct. And more software means more liability. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. More Dave, problems, Big Dave more Thomas. tech debt, and so on. That's right. Big Dave Thomas, who uh, his, his company was acquired by IBM, he's, he's a legend in our field. He said it as this: "Klocks kill." Yes, right? exactly. Klocks, thousands of lines of code. The more the more you have, the more it's going to bury you. You know what's scary? 
if somebody comes up with the K PBIs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Measure project size in kilo product backlog items. Oh my, oh god. my god. Well, that's somebody's uh, thinking about that, I'm sure. There's a tool for that somewhere. <laughs> um, anyway, this has been a pleasure talking to you, Duarte, especially here in your hometown of Helsinki. Yeah. Um, I think um, you know it's 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 just really cool to be here now. Um, the only exception is that uh, vegan burger we shared that we had last <laughs> night. Um, I'm gonna, it was good. He didn't no, like it, it was but not, he's Californian. Uh, we have better vegan burgers. Yeah, but, I'm sure you do. But um, in any way, this is a pleasure. So hopefully we can do this again sometime. And uh, absolutely, maybe even California. Yeah, California. Come on, come on. <laughs> it's sunny and warm there. So uh, thanks again and. Um, if you enjoy the show, please share it with friends and colleagues, and we really appreciate you watching. Thanks, uh, and goodbye.